Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky welcome to the united soccer coaches podcast presented by league apps as you can tell from my voice i am not dean linky i am jeremy goldberg president and quarterback of league apps and for today's show we're flipping the script and getting a chance to get to know dean linky who's hosted this show for the past five years you may have read about him recently when he was featured in Soccer America. You may have heard about his letter of commendation from United Soccer Coaches. But today is a chance for us to get to know the man behind the mic. And of course, in true Dean form, he's going to take over the host seat and interview some other incredible guests. But it's my great honor to be part of the conversation today. So let's get a word from our sponsor, a company called League Apps, and uh, we'll get to the conversation with Dean. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Well, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And it's my honor, this is Jeremy Goldberg, having a chance to, to sit across the table with Dean Linke. I, I was on the other side of the interview table uh, a few weeks ago, and now it's my chance to get to know him better. And I know so many people, Dean, have had the opportunity to get to know you through these airwaves, not to mention uh, seeing you on television, but it's a chance for us to go deep and learn about your incredible story, your passion for soccer, and your passion for sports. And so you need very little introduction to this, this crowd, but but I will point out that your highlights include all the incredible work you're doing on men and women's basketball, uh, the play-by-play work you're doing for Fox Soccer and the NSCA College Game of the Week, the work you've done for the Big Ten Network, soccer, the calling the U.S. National Soccer Team games, the cross-rowing, golf, cross-country, a huge number, span of media that you cover, and of course, United Soccer Coaches Podcast. And you also are a graduate of Ohio University, but we're an Ohio State fan growing up. I'm eager to figure that one out. Uh, and I know you wanted to be an NBA star, but now you're more likely to be on the other side of the mic calling basketball. I'm excited to get to know you today. Dean, and maybe we'll just start right now because I know you had this dream of being an NBA star, but here you are as a sport broadcaster. So I'm, I'm curious what happened with that first goal and ultimately how did you find your, your career pathway? Yeah, I think what happened is, you know, 5'8 and can't jump probably, but, you know, I always admired the NBA athletes. I, you know, I think one of the things I love about what I do now is I get to talk about the great accomplishments of these athletes. So it didn't take long for me to realize that I wasn't going to be an NBA star. I will tell you that my freshman year, we would go down to see the Cleveland Cavaliers, which had world be free and some really cool players. When we would drive down, I would interview my teammates as if I was the play-by-play announcer. So while I knew right away I wasn't going to be an NBA player, I did have the aspirations pretty early to, to be a broadcaster. That's amazing. I imagine you're watching Hoosiers instead of picking yourself on the game, you're pick, picturing yourself on the broadcast booth as you, uh, as you think about that, uh, that vision for your career. You grew up in Ohio and you're an Ohio State fan, but you decided to go to Ohio University 
So talk to me about your Ohio roots. My family is from Ohio as well. It must be something in the water there that gets you so excited about sports. But ultimately, how did your roots play into kind of the pathways that you may have taken? I did grow up in Ohio, and I grew up in this little tiny town called Gibsonburg. And in this little tiny town, a guy who married into my mom's side of the family blocked for Archie Griffin, who's the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner. So when I'm five, six years old, I'm down there hanging out with Woody Hayes and Archie Griffin and Cornelia Screen and Pete Johnson and this incredible team. And I obviously fell in love with Ohio Stadium and Woody Hayes and the Buckeyes. And I actually did think that I was going to go to Ohio State, but I started working at in high school on the yearbook and journalism and that type of thing. And Ohio University Script School of Journalism is one of the better schools for journalism in the country. So it was kind of an easy choice, but I'm not going to lie. I made a lot of treks from Athens to Columbus during my college career to you know continue to follow the Buckeyes. So at, at some point, I'm curious when soccer entered the equation. And is that something you played growing up? Uh, and certainly I'm interested to know more about the story of your first internship with the United uh, States Soccer Federation. But what, what is soccer in the picture? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you recall in that Soccer America story, I never played soccer. My high school, and I'm ashamed of this, still does not have soccer. If you want to play soccer, you have to play with the Fremont Ross team, which Fremont Ross, by the way, is where Charles Woodson is from, kind of a big name in, in football. But I got stuck in right away in Athens at Ohio University, made some great relationships with professors. They recommended me for the USOC Olympic Committee internship program. I got picked, Jeremy, by two governing bodies, canoe, kayak, and soccer, and at least soccer had a ball. That was kind of my mentality, but the timing was pretty incredible because in 1989, you think about it, we were qualifying for the World Cup for the first time in 40 years with Paul Caligiuri making that incredible wonder shot against Trinidad and Tobago. Anson Dorrance was forming the first ever U.S. Women's World Cup team that would go to China and win the World Cup. The Olympic festivals were going on. Alan Rothenberg was thinking about becoming president of U.S. soccer. And of course, in 1994, the World Cup would be hosted for the first time in the United States. So if you're going to pick a time to sort of enter the door, you might as well enter it on the penthouse. And I was lucky enough to walk in that door. And I realized right away that this is an incredible opportunity. I didn't take a single day for granted. I did everything they asked me to do. In fact, it was kind of cool. Even while I was in college, I continued to work for them and would come back for the Olympic festivals and go to U.S. national team qualifiers. And they basically had locked me in for a job before I graduated. So I didn't even walk through commencement. I got my degree, headed out to Colorado Springs and never looked back. And, you know, soccer has shaped uh, every part of my life in the most positive way, including helping me meet my wife. Well, I I'm interested to hear all those stories. And I will say, I don't know that much about canoeing. So I'm glad it worked out that, that you made the soccer choice as well. I could picture us on a boat instead, rowing right now uh, for this yeah. interview. Uh, but we'll, we'll stay on land here. And, and I'm curious, as you got exposed to soccer, besides the fact that, as you said, you're entering on the penthouse and you're at this amazing time, what was it about the game that you found compelling? What was it about the sport or the people involved in it? What, what, what drew you to this that, that you, now you've made it such a big part of your career? Yeah, I'm glad you started with the game, but then you said people, because one of the first things I did was interview Desmond Armstrong who was an African-American soccer player. There was only a couple at the time on the U.S. national team. And he was a talented artist, super impressive man. And I wrote a feature story on him. And he was so cordial to me. And the coaching staff was so cordial to me and all the players. And they kind of just wrapped their arms around me as if I played soccer my entire life. And, you know, because I was an athlete, albeit, you know, not a great one, like maybe you were, Jeremy, but I definitely had an eye for good athletes. I could tell right away when I got around them that, wow, these guys, 
our next level. And I certainly appreciated the work that they put into it. And the result of that work is most of them would go on to make that 94 World Cup team. But I really think it was the spirit of their kindness that, that brought me in and invigorated me. And, you know, I've always tried to carry myself around that, you know, kind of going back to your, your other thought about, you know, what sort of opened the door for me. An interesting story I think you'll find interesting is in eighth grade, I went to a basketball camp and I ran into these four guys and I came home to my mom and dad and said, hey, I want to go to school with these four guys. And they're like, well, that's a half an hour away and it's a Catholic school and you're not Catholic. And I'm like, you know, I don't care. These are the kind of people I want to be around. They're good people. And my mom and dad made it happen. They got me into Fremont St. Joe, all four of them. I was in their wedding. They were in my wedding. We still see each other every year. And I feel like that was a real, you know, I, I love the book, Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point. You talk about the ultimate tipping point for me to be able to spend that time around those people with good hearts, good souls, good minds. It was a game changer for me. And I say that story because I feel like I felt the same thing when I walked in U.S. soccer, the people that were working it, the athletes, even the media, all of them, I felt like they had that same sort of good hearts, good soul. And as long as I worked hard, I'd, I'd find a place. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's the expression of like finding your tribe. And I, and I think as if you think about as humans, we all, we all crave that kind of connection. So I, I think about my best friends, you know, Kelly and Izzy and Carl, and we, we met playing pickup football and on the mall in Washington. Now we've been in each other's weddings. We go annually to the final four every year. Excited to do that in New Orleans. I'm not sure if I'll see you there, but we should we should make plan that to hang out. And it, it's but that that connection that can happen through sport as a way of discovering your tribe, I think could be really powerful. Oh, amen. It's all about the tribe. And, and by the way, the final four, my wife and my son will be there as my wife does hospitality. She just finished up the Super Bowl out in LA at SoFi Stadium. So she'll be there. I, I might try to tack on if I can. And if so, I'll let you know. Sounds great. Well, and, and now you mentioned that you, you met your wife, I think, is it Leah? Is that, am I getting that right? That um, is right. So how did you meet Leah? What, how did you meet Leah through soccer? So I started in 89 and I graduated in 91. I'm already working with them. And one of my first assignments is with the women's team out in Santa Barbara. And you're talking about Michelle Akers and April Heinrichs and Karen Jennings and Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy and Carla Overback and Anson Dorrance. And so that was amazing. And then they say, hey, you're going to the Olympics. And I go to the Olympics in Barcelona. We had a great team. We didn't make it out of the first round. It was kind of disappointing. But a lot of those guys would go on to make the World Cup team. And when I got back from the Olympics, they called me into the office and said, hey, Dean, I know you just got here to Chicago, but we're setting up a permanent training center for the U.S. World Cup team because there was no Major League Soccer at the time. You're going to live in Orange County and you're going to travel the world for two and a half years getting ready for the World Cup. What do you think? And, you know, I'm 24 years old. I've just done the Olympics. I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. So that was incredible. So I become the press officer, the senior press officer for the U.S. World Cup team. And early on, we have a press conference at the Rose Bowl. And the World Cup staff was based out of L.A. We were based out in Mission Viejo and in walks Leah Paval. And I knew immediately, like, that's the one. In fact, I even told Sunil Gulati, who would go on to be the U.S. soccer president forever, and was like number three or four, if not number two, at the World Cup that, hey, that's the one. And, and she did some work for him. She was the protocol manager, speaks five languages. And he's like, you got no chance, no chance at all. And like, you'll see. So every, every December 31, we've been married 27 years. My first text goes to Sunil Galati to say, hey, you still think I don't have a chance? Because it, it all worked out. I, I married my best friend. We've got two great kids. And I think people overuse the word blessed, but I, I definitely do feel blessed, lucky, um, and lucky. <laughs> 
Well, I hear that, Dean. I, I get told all the time I married up. And I just simply point to my incredible sales ability. So uh, it, it, it all works out. It all works out. One thing I, I think about it, you know, it, it, you know as we we're celebrating uh, International Women's Day this month, you know, that World Cup team, and you, and you talk about that journey and Anson Dorrance at the beginning of that journey. It's pretty remarkable to think about, you know, ultimately what culminated the 96 uh, Olympic medal and, uh, and then the, the, the championship in 99 here on, on home territory. They also won in, in 91, and no one really talked about it. I think there's that famous story of Michelle Akers getting back from the airport and describing flying for like 54 hours. And there's, I think there's three people waiting for them at JFK when they, when they arrived. So talk a little bit about kind of that front seat uh, to history there and, and the, that Women's World Cup team uh, and, and its connection to kind of this larger question around equality of opportunity and equity, which, which is still an ongoing conversation and a, and a fight for, for progress that, that w- these women uh, soccer players have led. What a great time for that question yeah. with the recent news that they you know, yeah, did right get now, that settlement and it's a great step in the right direction. Ironically, at the same time, Michelle Akers is back in the okay. game with Orlando. I'm glad that you, you mentioned her because she's now an assistant coach in NWSL. And I interface with all of those people, it seems like every year, even to this day, because most of them are involved in the game some way. I mean, I think Julie Foudy's involved with you, right? So you certainly know as well. You talk about a, a trailblazer. Julie Foudy was at that first camp, was on that first team, was on that Olympic team, was the captain uh, with Carla Oberbeck on that 99 team. So I feel like all of them have been incredible trailblazers. And one of the things that I do like to hear is when people like Becky Sauerbrunn or Crystal Dunn or even the New Way, when they stand up and say, this is incredible that they do remember the fact that long before they ever had a chance, it was Anson Dorrance and it was Michelle Akers and, and all of those players. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that I love and I'm ripping now, but that I love about this podcast is we can talk about the present and all the new performance analysis and mental health and equality and everything else that is going on in this world. But we can also flashback and remember those that, that paved the way. And I like that part of what we do here on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think one, one thing I think about, Dean, you know, you mentioned Julie Fowdy, who's an investor in League Apps, and we had the, the, the great fortune of hosting her and Carla Overbeck for a discussion about that 99 team and that journey that they went on together for the League Apps uh, kind of uh, OTAs or, or organized team activities in, in January. And, I, and one thing about these moments of history is you can miss the, the, the narrative of, of what it took to get there, right? That broader story. It's one of the things I think journalism allows is that instead of just thinking about this moment is realizing everything that happened that built up to that moment. To, that allowed that to happen. And, you know, as, as you saw, you know, these great, great teams perform, whether it was the women's uh, uh, World Cup team or whether it's in the context of your work in college basketball and cross and all these other sports and in soccer. I'm curious, what, what have you seen as kind of the stories and the, the success of greatness, of sustained success that you can see the championship, but you often have a, a view of all the things that build up to that. And, and what, what do you think this distinguishes those successful teams from, from others? Another project that I'm really proud of that I just finished up was A Vision of a Champion by Anson Dorrance, where with every chapter, we interviewed amazing athletes. We interviewed Tobin Heath, who rarely opens up. We interviewed Carly Lloyd, who rarely opens up. Jessica McDonald, Crystal Dunn, Roy Williams, Mac Brown. The, the list is endless of superstars, and every single chapter is about what you do when the coach isn't watching, what you do on your own, what you do with the ball, what you do to keep your body right, to keep your mind right, almost 24-7. And that's what 
eyewitness in I witnessed that as you said in the college game, but obviously, particularly with the with the World Cup teams, I mean the best of the best. I mean, they don't get there just showing up for practice two hours a day, Jeremy. I mean, they are touching the ball as long as they're not sleeping. They're touching the ball. They're working one-on-one. They're doing stuff that you don't see enough anymore, you know, pick up, that type of thing. So whether it's basketball or soccer, it's, you know, the vision of a champion is the difference between a champion and a regular player is what you're doing when the coach isn't looking. And the way Anson describes it, he points out he was riding his bike and he sees Mia Hamm bent over, drenching with sweat you know, after she had run like her own personal beat test. And that's the true vision of a champion. And I feel like I've got a front row seat almost nightly to those kind of athletes and, and that kind of greatness. It's pretty cool. And that, that is amazing. It's, you know, I'm, uh, as, as you tell that story, I'm reminded one, one of our other investors is Swin Cash from the UConn women's basketball team and all their success. And, uh, and I remember reading a story as we studied the UConn women's basketball team as one of these teams that we studied to draw inspiration for and figure out with under Gino or Emma, how, how they had had sustained success. And there was a story of, uh, you know, there's a practice during the final four that's open in the media. And norm- normally it's like, a, you know, just a, a, you know, going through the motions practice. And here's UConn right before the game going all out in this practice. And somebody just observed that like, that tells you everything they need to know. They're not taking anything for granted. And even in a, in a practice that's supposed to be, a, you know, the publicly available one where they're not working that hard, that wasn't the way that that, that team operated, the way their culture operated, right? It's, it's uh, you know, it, it, they practice like it's a game and uh, that's where championships are born. So I'm excited. When's that, when's that project complete? Is it a, coming out in, in a specific time period you could share? Yeah, it's out now, actually. Yeah, if you Google Vision of a Champion, it is out there on all of the, you know, appropriate places where podcasts can be found. And then they also awesome. did the audio version of Vision of a Champion by by Anson Dorrance. I mean, and, and Mia Hamm is one of the early chapters as well. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible, the, the guest list that was on there. Wow, it sounds amazing. I'm excited to... Uh to uh, to check it out lots lots of good podcast content i know you're in the middle of all of it you know you you have you have two boys and i'm curious if they play sports and uh and whether soccer is part of their lives or uh, sports might intersect their lives and how you how you view sports now through the eyes of a parent versus someone who is a participant and obviously as a broadcaster i love that you asked about that because i am right in the middle of my worlds colliding with my youngest son's world and it brings it all together. So he always wanted to be a Tar Heel. He spent his first two years at the University of South Carolina. With all due respect to South Carolina, his dream was to be a Tar Heel. He kept trying. He got in. Then when he got in, he has uh, both my kids were really good basketball players. Ironically, my oldest son played AAU and high school basketball with Carla Overbeck's son, Jackson Overbeck. So it was kind of always wild, you know, having that connection with Carla back in 89 when I was just a kid. And then now we live four miles away. So Ben was a phenomenal basketball player and he made the game look easy, but he didn't love basketball. Max worked so hard at it and loved it so much, but wasn't like Ben six foot one and could dunk and, and make it look so easy, but he's kept working at it. So he makes the UNC club team and then he makes the practice team for the UNC women's basketball that just finished in the top four. They'll get a double by the ACC. And I think I've called seven games for UNC women's basketball. And the treat is, as a broadcaster, I always go to the shoot around. So I go to the shoot arounds. I get there early enough. Max comes out. He's one of the leaders of the team. The coach says, all right, you know, today you're going to represent Georgia Amor, who is the point guard for Virginia Tech. And this is what she does and how she does it. And then they attack it. They break down the plays. And then when the UNC women come out, 
they're ready to go. They are being their competition. And I actually think it's a key reason why UNC's done so well. And Courtney Banghart, the coach who won the Naismith Coach of the Year in 2015, actually tweeted out the real MVPs. So as a broadcaster and as a dad, seeing both my kids, you know, have that kind of success and then also impact what I do as a broadcaster, I couldn't ask for anything more. I never missed any of their games as well. I always worked my broadcast schedule around their games. So even if I showed up a little bit late, I was always there for them. As far as soccer, Max, the youngest, he actually was a pretty good soccer player, but his true love was basketball. But it was fun even coaching him in soccer. I mean, I felt like I was a decent coach because I was hanging around these incredible soccer players, right? So I definitely felt like I knew what I was doing it as well as incredible soccer coaches. So that was a fun time in my life as well. And ironically, my oldest son, Ben, big time basketball player, he did play soccer in the fall, just kind of mess around, scored a bunch of goals. And then the goalkeeper gets hurt and they put him in goal and he made that work as well. So that was that was a treat as well. Wow. What, what a neat, neat story. And, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is having watched them go through, especially the world of kind of grassroots basketball. What are the biggest changes in the world of youth sports from when you can remember kind of participating and then and then watching kind of those early years of, of kind of, uh, of of the women's soccer team and others? Uh, what has changed about this landscape of youth sports and youth soccer that kind of sticks out in your mind from the perspective as a parent and uh, astute observer of, of the game? Oh, wow. The youth sports, the youth soccer landscape is totally different, as you know, Jeremy, from when you and I grew up. It is so organized. It is so professional. It is detailed. It is structured. It's about putting a ton of hours in on the practice field and in games. The games and tournaments are super organized. As you know, there are a ton of leagues out there, but all of them, I think, serve a great purpose as they try to prop the game up. And I think they play a key role in why the USA is the best in the world on the women's game and why so many of these players are now having success in major league soccer and abroad and collectively it's kind of neat to sort of be in the middle of all of it and see it grow and see it flourish and see people have jobs and see people become pros and go to college and play and get scholarships it's uh it's pretty cool it's fascinating there's a lot of great people involved in the game at the youth level and and i think that's such an important reason why this united soccer coaches podcast is so important my league apps is honored to be part of it is there's are complicated things to navigate. And the best way to navigate that is, I think, hearing and learning from, from experts, not to mention everything that United Soccer Coaches uh, brings to the table as an organization. You've had a, a front row seat to history, and you also get a chance to call these amazing games across lots of sports. I'm curious if there are any highlights of your time broadcasting uh, for the various networks you work for that stand out to you. Any, any particular games or moments that, uh, that, uh, that stand out? There's so many, Jeremy, as I go back to that blessed and lucky sentiment that I mentioned earlier, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster, but I hedged with the public relations degree, which opened the door to U.S. soccer, which opened the door to broadcasting. And even before I became a broadcaster, first with the Colorado Rapids, and then, you know, I'm going on my 16th year with North Carolina FC, the original voice of the Carolina Courage, and now the North Carolina Courage at NWSL. They've been so great to me. Did the first ever game at the Big Ten Network and get to call so many championships. I cherish every one of those. I work with North Carolina and Duke and NC State and all of those people are fantastic. And I love every moment with 
with them before I got into broadcasting, probably the number one moment was being on the field when the USA beat Columbia in the 1994 World Cup, almost guaranteeing that we're going to make it to the second round was pretty fantastic. Never forget that. Being with the Colorado Rapids when we went from worst to almost first, where we made the MLS Cup with the late great Glenn Mooch Myrnick was incredible. Moving to North Carolina and starting to work with, as I said, North Carolina FC, formerly the Carolina Railhawks, and breaking into the Big Ten Network. Every moment, every game, I mean, even as I'm doing this with you right now, I'm getting ready to call Syracuse and Northwestern women's lacrosse. And at the moment right now, that's the biggest game for me. And, you know, as I think about it all collectively, I probably didn't give you the the best answer, but I go back to your sentiment about those four kids I met in high school in the tribe. And, you know, you think about today's world in, in the tribe, you know, my, my, my closest tribe is the United Soccer Coaches. Lynn Burling Manuel originally, now Jeff Van Dusen and his incredible staff. I've formed great relationships with Steve Veal and Pat Madden and Rob Kehoe. And the list is endless. Erica Dyer, the newbies, and Bailey and Brandon Milburn, Bailey Conklin and Brandon Milburn bring so much energy. Beth Sullivan, who writes the checks. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> Appreciate that. Lee Jero and all the advocacy groups that Sue Ryan helps with, Haley Carter, Nicole Hercules, Dan Wogue, Kate Ward, Mike Lynch, Mauricio Lozado, Ashu. I know I'm missing some, but they're all great, all with wonderful messages. Rusty Kugler and Shelby Frazier and Mary and Remy. I mean, the entire staff, Toby. Toby is fantastic, as you know. He helped put this deal together with, with league apps. Everybody at United Soccer Coaches is, is like, a, like a family. I love that tribe as well as it relates to thinking about, you know, the great moments and, you know, everything that United Soccer Coaches opened for me back when it was the NSCA game of the week on Fox Soccer. We'd roll into all these college towns, big and small, and they'd set record crowds. And we were right in the middle of it with Keith the Batsnake and Rob Kehoe. I'll never forget that. And my original tribe with U.S. Soccer, I definitely need to thank Sunil Galati and John Polis, who hired me, Kevin Payne, Hank Steinbrecher, Alan Rothenberg, Tom Meredith, his work ethic rubbed off on me. I loved it as well. Bill Nuttle, who was the general manager for U.S. Soccer, was awesome. And then people like Sue Marriott at the Big Ten Network, Kirk Johnson and Steve Malley, Corey Acuna and Kyle Lang at North Carolina FC, and even some people before they arrived have been incredible. Scott McBurney at the ACC, Rob Reichley now with Raycom, Ken Neal. Ken Neal was, has been huge. One of the best producers I've ever worked with. All, all the producers I work with, uh, I like them all. I like all my broadcast partners in all the different sports and the crossover. It's it's pretty neat. But, you know, like I said, I every moment since I was able to become a broadcaster through the power of U.S. soccer and even United Soccer Coaches, really, I cherish and I don't take for granted. And I'm going to gear up for this game today, just like uh, I'd gear up, you know, for the 94 World Cup. And every day and every game from here on, I, I'll do it the same way. It's just, it's, it's who I am. It, it's in me. I love it. And I, you know, I probably would call the game every day if they let me, but I'm sure people would get sick of me. But I certainly do love this uh, United Soccer Coaches and the tribe that comes with United Soccer Coaches. So that doing this United Soccer Coaches podcast every week for five years and still having endless and endless and endless 
names and incredible people to talk to is, is pretty cool. So with that, you're part of the tribe now too, Jeremy. So thanks for your sponsorship of this podcast and and thanks for uh, you know all these great questions. It's weird being on this side of it, but I'm certainly having a good time. Yeah, you know, I think Dean, your your, your sense of curiosity is uh is is palpable. And so whether that it's the curiosity of calling a game and 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 wanting to understand what's going to happen and figuring out how to tell that story and communicate that to the viewers or the curiosity that you bring to your podcast interviews, I think that's one of the things that that makes you so great at what you do. Uh, and and I'll end up with the question about the podcast, which is uh, it's this great medium that, that I think you've been able to use to such great effect over the past number of years. And I'm curious, when you think about podcast guests, what makes for a, a great guest in your mind? And are there a few of those podcast interviews that stand out that are particularly memorable um, to you? I appreciate you talking about the curiosity, because one of the things that I've really enjoyed about United Soccer Coaches is not only that you're, they're curious, but they're so inclusive. And it's allowed me, even as I get older, to open my eyes even more to every facet of the world, you know, the way United Soccer Coaches does. And obviously during COVID, we did this webinar series that also translated in the podcast that was incredible with, you know, doctors that are, you know, not only dealing with, you know, hey, this is what we got to do to protect ourselves from COVID, but more importantly, this is what we have to do to make sure that, again, going back to our kids, that they're safe and mental health is a key role. And when I get on, I don't know everything, but when I'm done, I try to know everything because I, I try to get them to tell their story because I think that's what, what people want. They truly don't want to hear my voice. They want to hear the people that are on the show. And, and I feel like you do a great job of that as well, Jeremy, getting me to talk more than, than I'm used to on the other side. It's, it's the curiosity. And then the fact that, you know, United Soccer Coaches arms are, are wide open is incredible. And I feel like when I interviewed you, you also highlighted that fact that that was one of the things you liked about United Soccer Coaches, that they are all in, they are for everybody, they are all inclusive. And that's another seat that I don't take for granted. Each and every podcast, the, the opportunity to make sure that we have people that if you can see it, you can be it. So, you know, during Black History Month, we turned it over to Nicole Hercules to make sure they're heard. Next week, we are going to focus on International Women's Sports Day as well and, and have kind of a takeover and and those kind of efforts will never stop. And I think, Jeremy, you'll support that as the president and, and the quarterback of, of League Apps. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to surface all kinds of stories and perspectives. Uh, and I think that's one of the best things about sports is what sports teaches us is when you bring people together from so many different backgrounds, um, that's how you're able to achieve amazing things. And there's so much that we can learn from each other. There's so much that we can do to do with each other. And, uh, and sports is a really amazing platform for that. And, you know, you think about the events over the past few weeks where the world's attention is, 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 is over in Europe and, and what, what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. And, and you see the role that sports and soccer in particular is playing is galvanizing attention around this. And, uh, and it's just a reminder of the power of the platform and also a reminder of the power of the platform when I think about your own journey. And as we talked a little bit earlier, sometimes you see the end result but you, you miss the story, you know, um, that goes into it. And so I think about your, your commendation, well-deserved from United Soccer Coaches. Uh, but I think about how that started way back in an internship and what you were able to do with that opportunity. And then ultimately how you met a wife and, and, and now have built a family and all the amazing things and that your, your kids have accomplished in the way that in, even you talking about it, it's impacted your lives. Uh, and now the fact that you have gotten this recognition, you have this podcast platform, it's all meant to be. We're honored to have you as the host and, and leader of this podcast. I know League Apps is honored to be part of it. So thank you for, uh, for switching seats. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hand it 
the mic back to the professional for the rest of the show and in the future. But uh, you've got such an, an amazing career. It was an amazing opportunity for the, the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So I uh, thank you for guiding us and for inspiring us. Uh, and with that, a word from our sponsor at Lee Gaps. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches, less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. I am Dean Linky, and obviously extremely grateful to Jeremy Goldberg, the president and quarterback of Lee Gaps, as well as all the great people at United Soccer Coaches led by Jeff Van Dusen for allowing Jeremy Goldberg to, as he said, flip the script and turn the microphone around on me as the longtime host of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Obviously, it was a great honor to talk about my journey and all the great people that I've met. And obviously I took a lot of time to thank my tribe as Jeremy Goldberg called it. I probably missed a few people for that. I am sorry, but grateful for everybody at United Soccer Coaches and all of the great media outlets that I work with. Appreciate all of you, but most importantly, the United Soccer Coaches family and League Apps for being the presenting sponsor. As he went to break, Jeremy Goldberg was kind enough to say that, you know what, Dean Linky's going to come back and interview somebody else. But you know what? I think I'm going to enjoy the ride Extremely grateful for the time he spent with me. And instead, I'm going to turn it over to the talented Anna Witte, who I've worked several games with and who was kind enough to fill in for a day at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City. Anna Witte, who did so many great interviews that you continue to hear throughout the year, including a visit with the co-founders of the State's Soccer Club, Sporting KC great and U.S. national team member Matt Beasler, as well as Ryan Van Gothen. Take it away, Anna. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I'm Anna Witte on Podcast Row in Kansas City, joined by the co-founders of the State's Soccer Club, Matt Beasler and Ryan Van Gothen. Before we get started in what you guys do with the lifestyle brand, how did you guys meet? We met through mutual friends. Uh, yep. This is Matt, by the way, so the podcaster listeners can uh, yeah, <laughs> Thank put, you for introducing put a yourself. voice to the name. Yeah, we, we Kansas City, it's a small town, big city, as we like to call it. Um, we kind of ran around in the same circles, had mutual friends. Uh, my wife actually went to high school with Ryan. So we, we knew each other, knew of each other. And I think, you know, I've always admired Ryan, you know, for his creative side and his entrepreneurial instincts. And so when we were kind of putting together a team to form state soccer, you know, Ryan came to mind and we got connected and now we're working together. And you had an impressive career, Matt, in the MLS playing for Sporting KC. What's your background with soccer? My background actually is not in soccer. I was not okay. good at soccer, so I can't claim that. That's why I leaned on Matt for that expertise. But I was always a, I was always into sports, but then I always wanted to get into branding and uh, clothing design. And so that's why we became kind of a pretty good team is I had that aspect and then he had the soccer aspect. So during your relationship or during your friendship, when did it start to become, hey, we should start a lifestyle brand together? A couple of years ago. I think I've always had this idea in my head, you know, throughout my playing career. You know, everybody always asks me, what are you going to do when you're done? And 
you know, are you going to stay involved in soccer? And it just kind of, I've always thought about it on, on road trips and on airplane rides and in hotels on the road. And it's like, well, what should we do? Um, what do I want to do? And so I've kind of had this, this vision um, along with our other partners. Uh, one of my ex-teammates, Seth Sinovic, uh, played in Kansas City with me. And we would always talk late at night after games when we, when we couldn't sleep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of just had this idea. And, I mean, I will say that starting a, a any brand but a lifestyle apparel company from scratch, it takes a lot of work. So it, it probably took us at least a year – year and a half two years to to get this idea that we had in our heads down on paper and you know get it funded and get something out into the public and so uh yeah it's, it's been a process but it's been awesome you mentioned you had to get it funded how'd you start with that so we actually put in we put in our own money we believed in it yeah i mean it's a pretty simple answer we uh we actually don't have any outside funding yet everything we've done has been organic and, and through ourselves and what your brand is, is really trendy almost. You don't really see a lot of soccer um, apparel be more, like not super bright and flashy, I guess, is a good way to describe it. So why did you take that approach to your your looks? We, we wanted something that was going to be a little bit different, right? When we looked at soccer from an aesthetic perspective, especially the apparel, you can even look at this convention. A lot of the guys, everyone kind of dresses the same, right? right? You have the same pants and you, there's a look. And we wanted to have a fresh take on that, especially for the American game, to help kind of grow and, and get the game to be to level up to international. And so our approach was to sit down in Matt's basement with Matt and Seth and kind of talk about all the aspects of training gear, clothing that they wanted to do or that they loved. And then we took those design aspects and, and, and built our clothing line. And we wanted to have stuff that was on pitch and off pitch, so stuff that you can work out, train in, but not has to, doesn't have to be a jersey. It doesn't have to be the, the, tip, the, the, the typical stuff that soccer players would usually wear. We wanted to give a, a more subtle option to be able to use in the gym and, and then also have the lifestyle side, which we introduced State Soccer Club to kind of kick that off last November. What pieces of apparel did you start with? We started with uh, all of our training stuff. Okay. Um, and so it's like uh, we started off by saying it was on pitch, off pitch, but it was stuff that you could work out in the gym, but then also you could wear like on a Saturday kind of athleisure. I hate that word, but there's no other way to say it. <laughs> right. And you, you showed me, I, I was up there and saw some of your stuff yesterday, uh, just like the details you put into it. I loved the captain's armband. Where did that idea come from? We wanted to find ways that the clothing could be subtle, but still have design elements that pull from it. And that was more of an aesthetic one. Mm -hmm. And it was like we to have our logo be on the armband, a soccer player would recognize that. Right. But outside of soccer, someone would be like, oh, that still looks cool. But then when you hear the story, we wanted to be able to have that connection to be made. Like, oh, there's this subtle armband that shows states, oh, you're soccer, that makes sense, but it's not loud. Um, so that's how we started out. And then we had a lot of other elements, like with our shorts that we made. We took Matt and Seth's expertise on things they liked and didn't like about soccer shorts and, and implemented Yeah, them. I, I mean, I'll, I'll interject here. I've got, a, I've got a fun story for you and the listeners. So when we were starting this, we, we basically came down to my basement. There was four guys, and we were sitting around and maybe having a beer. Um, <laughs> I'll add that in. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but so what, you know, soccer players are known for collecting jerseys. You know, that's our thing. When we play, especially like an international game, you trade jerseys. That's that's our thing, and that's, you know, what we do. And uh, so I have quite the collection throughout the years, and so does Seth. And so what we did was we brought all of our jerseys throughout the years. We brought them down in the basement. We threw them in a big pile, and we just started going through stuff. And we said, all right, what do you like about this? What do you not like about this? 
and oh I love the sleeve like do you remember that jersey you know from 10 years ago like I love the fit of this and so we'd write it down and um, we'd go through fittings and materials and you know just little nuances of jerseys and, and apparel that we've worn throughout the years and you know we put together you know I guess our favorite aspects of all of those and we tried to put it together in, in some of the designs in the shirts. Going back to what Ryan said about the training, that's a cool story, by the way. That's cool that you, like, had the idea to do that and get creative. But go back to the training aspect of, like, the shorts and the jerseys and stuff maybe that you didn't like playing in. What must? What did you have to have in this this brand in your shorts when it came to being on the pitch? Um, I think they just, for, for us, they had to be versatile. Okay. Uh, that's kind of how we wanted to be different than previous soccer brands, you know, because I feel like it, it's pretty easy if you go to the park and you see somebody wearing soccer gear, it, they all, it's all kind of similar, you know, it's like, oh, those look like soccer shorts. Right. And which is great. Like there's a time and a place for that. But for us and for me, like part of my frustration was like, well, I want to wear something for soccer, but I don't play soccer every single minute of the day. Like sometimes I like to go for a run. Sometimes I like to go play basketball with my buddies. Um, sometimes I like to go on walks, whatever it is, but I'm, I'm still a soccer player. Mm -hmm. So I still want to wear gear that like shows that I'm, I'm a soccer player. And so we wanted to create something that, that could do all of that. I can interject yeah. too on some of the technical pieces, like two things that really stuck out when I when we were designing them that he mentioned was, you know, no liners on the shorts. Right. Because a lot of soccer shorts have right. that, but players don't Especially really enjoy Especially women's it. shorts. I don't know about men's, but we always had, I guess it's in men's shorts too. Yeah, but I, on the guy's side, you, everyone cuts them out. Right. So don't make them. I will <laughs> say we used to play, like I played for uh, Castle growing up, now in CFC. It was sponsored by Chelsea, and I hated that we had to wear the men's shorts because you could only roll them up so high, oh, yeah. and they were basketball shorts. So, anywho, I yeah. had a terrible experience wearing those. But, hey, you took out the liners. Took out the liner. And then the other thing was the, the, the moisture wicking, right? Everyone's like, you know, you're sweating like crazy. You're running. I don't know how many miles you guys run when you play, seven miles a game or something like that. So, and then the shorts would get super heavy. So, we had to find a material uh, that we went more on, like, the board short type material on the main body of the short to make sure that the short stays dry no matter what kind of workout you're doing. So, going to the material because that's what's kind of cool. How did you decide on what – did you want to use for your specific uh, brand and how did you find it? Uh, that was a lot of trial and error, a lot of research, uh, a lot of going to the wrong factories and finding the wrong fabric. And, uh, you know, it's just, you got to go through that process. It's like a rite of passage to where you start with like lower end fabrics and then you kind of work your way up once you get that rite of passage to find better fabrics and, and better companies to go for. And so it was, it was, uh, I can't give all those details. can't give all those secrets, but um, it was a lot of work. But I love it, so it was a ton of fun. How long did it take to create everything you have in your brand right now? The clothing-wise, it took about it was about a year to build the brand mm -hmm. on how we wanted to approach it. And then it was almost another year, I would say, to come up with the designs and build all the tech packs and, and, and nail everything before we launched. Where did you guys come up with the State Soccer Club idea? The name? Uh, well, States and State Soccer Club are two separate things. So States is our brand. Right. And uh, we came up with the name because obviously soccer is the, the largest international sport. Uh, we want to represent the game here in America. And so for us, domestically, no one ever calls America the States. It's always America, the United States. But when you go overseas, everyone's like, oh, you're from the States. 
And so for us, it was a creative way to stay connected to the game internationally by still representing the game here in the United States. How long did that name take to come up with? It took a long time. We had a Rolodex of, I don't know, probably 800 different names that we were deciding between yeah. at the beginning. You, you go through that exercise. Um, but states came from, I think, a friend of ours who was like, you should just call it this. And then we really started to, like, noodle around that. And yeah, I mean, one thing for me that the reason why states – you know, the light bulb went off when I heard that name was because when I was when I was playing youth soccer, uh, a lot of my coaches, my main club soccer coach was was from either he's from Wales, okay. but he's from Great Britain. And so he had the big British accent and he was he was amazing. He was one of the, like the most inspirational people, important people in my life. But he would always you know have these funny sayings about America and he would always refer to us as, as the states. He's like, oh, you. No one knows how to play football in the States. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what is this guy talking about? And then, you know, you don't realize, like, when until you get older that, all right, yeah, he's, he's from England. Like, that's how people talk. And everybody refers to us as the States instead of America. And it's it's kind of funny. But, yeah, when that idea popped in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. Let's go with it. And now, now we're here. States is the brand, but you mentioned that State Soccer Club is different. Yeah, What's the difference? State Soccer Club is, a, is, our, is our concept uh, that we just launched here last November. And okay. it's kind of our social aspect. It's, it's a way to uh, – the, the concept behind it or the, our tagline is all are welcome. Mm -hmm. Soccer is a very inclusive sport. And we wanted our club to be very inclusive as well. Like to join State Soccer Club, all you have to have is an email address. And that gets you certain things uh, for our brand, whether it's, you know, discounts on end-of-season sales, stuff like that. Um, or down the road as we build it out, it's going to be more for storytelling – for you know, a lot more social aspects of things that we want to do. Um, I think I've told you before about our uh, our cafe idea, stuff like that is what the club will kind of fall under. And States will always be our soccer clothing brand. And then State Soccer Club allows us to get a little bit more creative. Ryan, you can't glance over that idea you had because it's amazing. Can you please <laughs> share with us your amazing idea for? Yeah, the yeah. Cafe. So, like, in terms of like, uh, as a clothing brand, we don't want our retail store to be uh, just a retail store where you come in and shop for clothes. We want it to be a full soccer experience in America, because American soccer is not just about soccer played in America. It's about how you experience the international game as well over here when you're getting up at 6 a.m. to watch a game or any anything like that. And so, a lot of soccer bars that are around here, or that anyone that you see, is usually just a restaurant that claims to be a soccer bar. But then you go to that, and it's just like a family restaurant. You got kids eating, you know, these big meals and all this kind of stuff. But no one really knows anything about soccer. So our idea is we want to have a cafe pub where in different towns has local beer, local coffee, open all hours. And you can come in. You can shop our clothes if you want to, but it's also this experience where you can come in, be around like-minded people that love the game, and watch your favorite team, whether that's here in MLS or whether it's an EPL. That's awesome. So cool. Uh, so once you've built the brand and you have your apparel, how did you start marketing it to the public? Great question. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start, but you can kind of finish off. Uh, to be honest with you, we haven't, we haven't put any, any money in the marketing, which is, which is amazing. Um, it's, it's all been organic. And I think a lot of that's our philosophy. I mean, I don't, I don't think we want to just dump money into marketing and say, hey, look at our brand, look at us online. I think we want it to grow a certain way through the game of soccer. Um, so I think we've been very patient with, with our marketing efforts, um, very particular about how we want to market things. Um, now, obviously, if somebody wants to come in and, and partner with us and, and take this thing to the next level, great. Um, you know, that's what we're looking for at this moment. But 
um, yeah, I mean, I would say marketing-wise, we just we just kind of go through the game, you know, with our contacts and just let it grow slowly. So, On your Instagram, you have featured some KC Current players, some sporting players. You do have people wearing your apparel that do play the game. So what yeah. was your approach there? Why did you decide to market it with professional soccer players? Well, fortunately, we were able to lean on Matt and Seth and, and their soccer connections to, uh, you know, kind of help get introduced to other players, um, have them talk about the brand. Obviously, Matt has a big following. Um, so for, to get him to talk about states, you know, it's been a really uh, – speaking of, of organic growth, especially here in Kansas City, you know, Matt's a hometown hero. So it's been awesome to have people see what he's doing outside of the game to also help the sport. So it really helped in that organic marketing process uh, and, and then get connected to people at Kansas City Current and other players at Sporting as well. Where can people find your apparel? Where they, can they find you online and, and shop what you have? Uh, our website is www.states.soccer. There's no .com, and so you can't, you can't be more soccer than that when your domain ends with .soccer. Are you on Instagram, Twitter? We are on Instagram. That's the main one you can follow us on because you can really get an idea of the visuals and, and how we kind of show our and showcase our brand and how we represent it, and that's just at State Soccer. What stuff do you guys sell? And I noticed you guys have a penny, you have water bottles, you have sweatshirts. You're wearing some of the apparel right now. What can people expect when they come to your site? You can get the full gamut of, uh, in terms of having apparel that can represent the game outside of wearing just a soccer jersey, right? So if you want something that's subtle that you want to be able to go to the gym, that's designed for soccer people. We have training gear that, that, that can fit every need there. And then with the State Soccer Club, it's kind of really kicked off our off pitch, which is more lifestyle, a little bit more fun, a little bit louder, a lot, you know, comfortable cottons. So yeah. we have, we, we have the, it fits the gamut. Short sleeve, long sleeve, midweight, lightweight, shorts, joggers, hoodies. Yeah, we have a, we have a pretty good collection now. We've grown it. A little bit of everything for yes. everyone. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your idea and what you're selling and best of luck. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, that's going to do it. One more time, thank you to Jeremy Goldberg for spending time with me, Dean Linky, the host of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And thank you, Anna Witte, for that special interview with the co-founders of the State's Soccer Club. Once again, I want to thank all the great people at United Soccer Coaches, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.